Amen. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you in God's house today. We are glad that you are here. Welcome to all of our locations, our online and television audience. We know God is going to speak a word to each one of your hearts. If you have your Bible, would you take it out? If you need a Bible and you'll raise your hands, the ushers will get you one. Let's go ahead and hold it up and I'll make this declaration of our faith. Ready? Go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Not going to lie, very weak. Very, not a good way to start the service off right there. I think I'm going to have to pump some energy into this crowd this morning. Are you all ready for the word this morning? I'm kind of a little bit of an audience participation preacher. In other words, the more you give me, the more I give you. And so you got to help me out a little bit today. So are you ready? All right. I see you're trying hard. Mark chapter number five, beginning in verse number 22, we are continuing in our series. He amazes me. As you know, we have moved on from the gospel of John to some of the other miracles that Jesus did. And we've said it over and over again. Jesus is a miracle working machine. If every one of the miracles that Jesus did was written down, the world would not be able to contain the volumes of books. That's how many miracles Jesus did. And so we're moving Moving over to some of the other miracles in this one, we started to look at last week, but we looked at it from the perspective of Jairus. If you were here, he was the father. We looked at the miracle of having a father or being a father. And today I want to look at it from the perspective of this woman, the woman with the issue of blood. Mark chapter number five, verse number 22 says, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and he begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitudes thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. From the text, I want to minister to you from the subject, you can overcome your issue. 
Yes, you can. You can overcome your issue. I want some help this morning, okay? Because some of you are around some people who got some issues right now. So I want your help right now. Look at your person next to you and say, you can overcome your issue. Now look at the person on the other side of you and say, you can overcome your issue. Tell them like you know they really got an issue. You can overcome your issue. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the word of God this morning. Thank you that it's powerful, it's life. And Father, thank you that as we sow it into the hearts and minds of your people, it will transform them in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. Everybody has got an issue. Some people have more than one issue. You might be sitting next to one. Some people have greater issues than other people. Some people's issues are new. Some people's issues have been around for a while. Some issues are evident issues. Some issues are secret issues. Most people think that their issue is less than somebody else's issue. They think their issue is a speck and somebody else's issue is a plank or a two by four. Jesus might have said something about that. Some people are well aware of their issues and some people are immune to the fact that they have issues. But the truth of the matter is everybody has at least an issue. Everybody has something that God is working on in your life. And the reason why I love this story is no matter what kind of issue you have, no matter how long it has dogged your life, no matter how many times you have tried to overcome it, this story is in the Bible to remind us and encourage us that you can overcome your issue. This woman's issue is an issue of bleeding. It's a menstrual issue. And in fact, the Bible tells us that this is what the issue is because the word issue specifically means that in the text. And can you imagine dealing with an issue like this for 12 long years? Imagine the fear, physical exhaustion of bleeding constantly, not feeling like yourself, not having the energy that you're used to having, just wanting to sit around because you're too tired to get going. Her issue is even deeper than just the physical uh, limitations or causes of her issue. There's the physical exhaustion, but the Bible tells us that she has suffered many things of many physicians and has not gotten any better, but only grew worse. In other words, because of her issue, she was subject to every type of experimental procedure that the doctors had at their disposal. And perhaps they were doing their best. You know, we've tried this and we've tried that and we don't know whether this is going to work, but the early signs are this type of treatment is promising. And so she gets her hopes up and she goes all in and she says, do whatever you have to do because I can't live with this issue anymore. And they try and it has no effect on her. And so she's disappointed once again. And when you couple this kind of constant disappointment and constant physical pain with the fact that in order to pay for these medical treatments, she has to pretty much sell everything that she has. She has to empty her savings accounts, her her checking accounts, her retirement accounts, her, her college accounts, even the piggy banks in her house are bare because she has to, the Bible says, spend every penny that she has in order to get the medical attention that she needs. And at the end of spending everything that she has and searching for every physician that could help her and be exposed to every type of treatment. She is nothing better. And matter of fact, she's even worse. And, And when you couple this with the stigma of the day, if you had this kind of issue, you were considered to be unclean. You couldn't touch anybody. 
If you touched anybody, then they were considered to be unclean. And so if she was married, she wasn't able to touch her husband. Her husband wasn't able to touch her. If she had children, her kids weren't able to be touched by her, or she couldn't touch her kids. This woman woman was living without the necessity of physical touch. Everybody needs physical touch. Matter of fact, that is the first form of love that most people receive in their life when they're babies. Babies actually learn from physical touch, and there's whole studies that have been done on how babies develop when they are touched physically, and how when you don't touch a baby physically, that that baby cannot develop the right way, and so this woman is living in this isolation. She is living in this unclean state. She has dealt with this for 12 long years, and she has lived in this condition as unfair as it is, maybe unjust as it is. She is living in this, and yet she still overcomes her issue. 12 years and she overcomes her issues. And what it reminds me of and what it encourages me to tell you is no matter what you are going through in life, no matter how long you've been struggling with it, no matter how much it's cost you, no matter how much pain you've experienced, no matter how depressed you've gotten, you can still overcome your issue because we serve a God who is greater than anything that we struggle with. And this woman is proof of that. And so I want us to learn from her, and I want us to see how do we overcome our issues and experience the miracle touch of God in our lives. Number one, we must be careful not to let the issue define us. Don't let your issue define you. I wish I could tell you this woman's name. She's not given a name. She's just described by her issue. The woman with the issue of blood. And maybe you have come to be described by your issue. Maybe in your mind, that's how you think of yourself. Maybe you know people who are uh, identify with whatever their struggle is. The guy who's always high. The man who's got an anger issue. The woman who always seems like something's bothering her. The dude that can't keep a job. The lady that's been married five times. The guy who always lies. Sometimes our issues can become our identity. And not so much even that we don't know that we are a person, but in our mind and in our thinking, our issue becomes our identity and people even begin to relate to us based on our issue or avoid us based on our issue. And, And this is one of the things that we have to settle in our mind that we are not our issue. And sometimes when people struggle and constantly have the same thing happening in their life all the time, they forget who they really are. And this is a play from the devil's playbook. The devil loves to stigmatize and define people by their issue. Because if he can put a counter identity on you, he can rob you of the miracle that God has for you. And so you see him trying this in almost everybody who God has used in any way. He tries this with David. We all know David's story. Samuel comes to the house of Jesse, David's father. He says, I'm here to anoint the next king. Bring in your boys. He's got eight boys. He brings in seven. Samuel looks. He doesn't see the next king. God gives him no assurance that the king is standing before him. He says, you have any other boys? And and Jesse says, well, I got one more, but he's out tending sheep. Samuel says, go get him. We'll wait. He walks in the room. He walks into a room where everybody thinks of him just as a boy who 
can tend sheep. And God says, arise and anoint him. He is the one. In other words, he wasn't just a a tender of sheep. There was a king on the inside of David. We are not our issue. There is something on the inside of every single person here that is greater than the thing that you are struggling with. Not only did he do it with David, he did it with Esther. Esther was an orphan slave girl. She was living in a foreign land. The king wanted to put a new queen uh, on the throne. And so he, he issued this, this uh, statewide beauty contest. And everybody could apply. But Esther, she was an orphan slave girl. She was a long shot. So they narrow it down to just a few. And wouldn't you know that Esther was in the final couple. And all of the ladies, they got the best treatment you could get. They got Manny Petties. They, they, they got Glamour girls, shots and makeup and all of that kind of stuff. And they were looking fine. Esther wasn't used to any of that stuff. She said, I'm, I, that's not me. That's, that's, that's kind of not who I am. I'm just an orphaned slave girl. And wouldn't you know it, when she came before the king, she had favor with the king. Listen to what the Bible says. The king loved Esther more than any other woman, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all of the other virgins. So he set his royal crown upon her head and made her queen in the stead of Vashti. Everybody else saw an orphaned slave girl in Esther. God said there was a queen on the inside of her. See, we are not our issues. And if you look through the Bible, this is one of the big plays of the enemy. We know that the identity assassins are roaring really loud right now in our culture and in our society. Why? Because if the enemy could ever get you to believe that you are your issue, he could stop you from being set free from what it is that you're struggling with in your life. He tried to define Moses by his issue, murderer. God said you're a deliverer. Tried to define Gideon by his fear. God said you're a mighty man of valor. Tried to define Abraham by the mistake he made with Hagar. God said, you're the father of many nations. Try to define Mary as someone who got pregnant out of wedlock. God said, you're blessed among all the other women. Try to define Saul as an enemy of the church. God said, you'll be my chief apostle. Try to define Rahab as a prostitute. God said, you'll be in the lineage of the Messiah. Try to define Jacob as a supplanter. God said, from your seed will come the 12 tribes of Israel. Try to define Peter as somebody who denied Christ. What did God say? You will be a rock in my church. Come on, somebody. You are not your issue. You're not what you're struggling with. You're not what you're trying to overcome. There is something greater on the inside of you. This woman had to get over the fact that she was not her issue. And if we are ever going to see ourselves overcome whatever we are struggling with, we cannot let our issue define us. We must always remember above all else who we are in Christ, that we are his workmanship, that we are his masterpiece, that we are the apple of his eye, that we are created in his image and his likeness, that we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ, that we are the head and not the tail. We're seated in heavenly places. We're a royal 
priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We are the pearl of great price. We are the one Jesus died for. We are children of God. We are the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors. We are chosen. We are on our way to heaven. Our Father is God. Our value is the blood of Jesus. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our future is heaven. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Our Father rejoices over us with singing. Our Savior is interceding for us. Our life has purpose. Our future is bright. Our destiny has been scripted. And we are not our issue. We are children of God. We've got to settle that. Second thing we must understand, if we are going to ever overcome our issue and be touched by the miracle working power of Christ is we must understand the power of endurance. When I think about this woman and everything that she has been through, 12 years of suffering emotionally, physically, and financially, 12 years of being separated from our family, 12 years of doctors and nothing, 12 years of draining her bank account and nothing, 12 years of being viewed as unclean, 12 years of being, of experiencing one closed door after another, 12 years of being knocked down. And yet she's still fighting. She, she amazes me. Most people can't fight for two months, two days. She's fighting for 12 years. She is still going. One other version, uh, one other uh, uh, gospel says she was from Caesarea Philippi. In other words, she was not from Capernaum, but she was in Capernaum. And what was she doing in Capernaum? My guess is that she was there looking for another doctor, that she was still trying. She, she hadn't given up. And I love this woman and I love her profile. I love her makeup. And matter of fact, I also love Rocky. And so she reminds me of him. Matter of fact, a while back, I preached a message about her. I called her the woman I call Rocky. And the reason why she reminds me of Rocky is because she has a lot of his traits. You remember in the Rocky series, Apollo was faster than Rocky. And Clubber Lang, he was stronger than Rocky. And Drago was taller, faster, and stronger. But Rocky beat them all. And the reason why Rocky beat them all is because Rocky had a virtue working in his life that the others did not have working in their lives. Rocky had endurance. Rocky would never quit. And what was amazing about Rocky is every time he would get knocked down, every time he would get the the the, the, the tar beat out of him, and that his opponent would think that's it, he's out. Rocky would get back up, and the face or the look on his opponents would tell it all. Drago one time looked at him and he said, he's a machine. He's not a man. This woman kept getting back up. She had endurance. And if you are ever going to overcome your issue, you must have endurance because some issues don't die easy. Some issues don't go away with just one prayer. Some issues don't go away with just, you know, one, uh, one day of fasting. Some issues don't go away because, you know, you willed yourself to overcome it for just a couple of days. Some issues require a fight. Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. See, somewhere along the line, somebody told us that if we have faith, we don't need endurance. 
But I believe that faith actually gives you endurance. A confidence in God gives you the ability to endure until you receive what God has for you and not quit. Faith and patience. And the word patience here is not patience like we have patience. It literally means endurance. It literally should be translated staying power. And this is a supernatural grace to keep fighting and keep standing and keep believing. This is not a natural grit. It is a supernatural grace. To have endurance, you must be hooked up to your Savior. To have endurance, you you must be plugged in to the source of strength because human strength can only take you so far in believing for certain things, in trying to overcome certain issues. But there are moments in your life and sometimes seasons in your life where you will need something that is greater than human strength. It is supernatural grace to keep standing. This woman had that. Faith and patience. And faith and patience, they're necessary in order to produce or in order to see a miracle. Matter of fact, interestingly enough, you know, words have, um, have genders. You know that, right? Why are you looking at me like I'm crazy because I said gender? Everybody's so on edge about gender these days. Words have genders. If you look up a dictionary, it'll say feminine, you know, next to it, masculine next to it. Faith in the original language is a masculine word. Faith is, faith is, is aggressive. Faith is, faith is out in, out in front. Ephesians talks about the shield of faith. Where do you put a shield? Out in front. Right? Uh, another, first Timothy says, fight the good fight of faith. So, so faith is aggressive. It's tough. Hebrews talks about the confession of our faith. Hebrews is loud. All of those characteristics, you know, out in front and aggressive and loud, those masculine characteristics. Faith is a masculine term. But what's interesting is patience is a feminine term, even in the original language. Uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of noise. It's not seen as much, but it's consistent. It's always there. It never moves. It's not going anywhere. It's in it for the long haul. It's a difference maker. Faith is masculine and patience is feminine. And just like a man needs a woman in order to give birth, Let me talk to people in the back for just a minute. Just like a man needs a woman in order to give birth. Let me talk to the people over here for just a minute. Just like a man needs a woman in order to give birth. In order to receive the promise of God in your life. You need both faith and patience. And the baby that faith and patience produces is the promise of God being seen in your life. This woman refused to give up. She said, I'm not quitting. I believe, I believe, I believe, and I'm going to keep fighting. And all throughout history, we have seen so many examples of people who have refused to give up and seen the promises of God come to pass in their life. She waits 12 years. Joseph waits 13 years. Abraham meets waits 25 years. Moses waited 40 years. Jesus waited 30 years. All of the heroes of the faith, very few of them received what God wanted instantaneously. In order for us to to have what God wants us to have, we have to have endurance. I love the story of Chuck Yeager. You know him, right? He's the one who broke the sound barrier. 
and many other people had tried before and failed. And the reason is because as you approach the speed of sound, the spaceship starts to really shake violently. And, 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 and it seems like it's going to blow up. And so the natural inclination when stuff starts to shake all around you is to do what? Is to pull back. Because most people want security more than they want breakthrough. Oh, that was so good right there. I could preach that right there. Most people want security more than they want breakthrough. And so when they begin to press the envelope and be persistent in their faith and endurance and stuff starts to shake around them, they decide to retreat to the bondage that they are in instead of pressing forward and seeing God give them a breakthrough. And so what did Chuck Yeager do? He said, I'm going to press it further. And he pushed harder as the ship started to shake and he broke the sound barrier and it created a sonic boom and he experienced uh, 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 flying like it was on glass. It was the smoothest sailing he had ever experienced or anybody had ever experienced because he broke the sound barrier. What is God trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that if we want to experience the smooth sailing of the promise of breakthrough in our life, we have to be willing to endure all of the shaking that is going on around us as we are believing God for the breakthrough. This woman would not give up. She understood something that we need to understand. The Bible prophesies this over us. It says, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. Psalm 92, I think it's verse number 12. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. You know, every word of God is important, right? Every word is there on purpose. This would not mean as much as it uh, means if it said the righteous will flourish like the mighty oak. Everybody likes to be a mighty oak because it's big, it's strong, it's stately, it looks nice, and so on and so forth. But if a hurricane comes, guess what happens to the mighty oak? Gone. Guess what happens to a palm tree? Bends over like this. It looks like it's getting beat by the storm. As soon as the storm is over, it's just like, You know what that means about you and I? It means that we have supernatural power to duck what the devil's throwing our way. Looks like we're, looks like we're bent over. Looks like we're hurting. As soon as the storm is over, boom, we come back again. And it's like that rockiness on the inside of this woman. I believe every believer has a little rocky on the inside of us. And when we continue to bounce back, it's almost like we ought to stare at the devil just a little bit and say, you ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. We gotta have endurance. We got, what if she gave up after 11 years? See, how do I know whether I press on, Pastor? Did God make a promise to you? If God made a promise to you, how do I know if God made a promise to you? There are so many of them in the Word. Every single one of them is for you. Every single promise in the Word of God is for you. It's not just for some of God's kids some of the time. It's for all of God's kids all of the time. What does the Scripture say about the promises of God? It says all the promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God the Father through us. In other words, all those promises is for us. And so what do we do? We continue to believe God's promises no matter what comes our way, no matter how much it costs us, no matter how much it hurts us, no matter how disappointed we get. Why? Because God said to believe until you can't believe anymore. This woman had endurance. The third thing that we need to do if we're ever going to overcome our issue is we can never lose faith in the end of the right story. 
Did you notice there are two stories that are woven together in this text? There is the story of the woman with the issue of blood, and there is the story of Jairus' daughter, and they are both merged with one another. And when I saw that, the Lord said to me, there's always two stories going on. In everything we experience in life, there's always two stories going on. There is the story being scripted by hell, and there is the story being scripted by heaven. And this lady's story could have ended one of two ways. It could have ended because of the Levitical law. She was out in public. And if she was caught out in public touching other people, she could have been put to death. And you remember from last week, Jairus had the authority to put her to death. And so the story that hell was scripting, because I don't know if the woman knew or didn't know that Jairus was the one Jesus was following to get to Jairus' house. But imagine her surprise as she comes through the press and not only does she see Jesus, but she sees Jairus. See what hell's intention for her outcome was, was that she would go there and get found out and be put to death. That was one story. The other story that was being scripted was that she would go there and Jairus would show her mercy and Jesus would heal her and then her testimony would be what Jairus needed to hear so not only could she get her miracle, but Jairus could get her miracle as well. And so there were two stories going on the whole time. What do we need to do? Never lose faith in heaven's story. There are always two stories. And what's amazing is as you begin to meditate and as you begin to fight to overcome your issue, oftentimes it is the devil's story that we pay most attention to. It is the devil's story that we hear over and over again in our head. You are never going to make it through this thing. You are always going to be like that. This thing is going to kill you. You are never going to get what you're believing for. God doesn't care about you. It's been 12 years. You might as well quit. And the devil keeps narrating his story to us over and over and over and over and over again. But we must understand that in order to receive We have to maintain our faith in heaven's story. And the way that you maintain your faith in heaven's story is you go to the word of God and you begin to fill your spirit with the promises of God as often as you need to to combat the voice of the enemy. Never lose faith in the end of the right story. In my book, Turn It Around, I forgive you for not buying it and not reading it. But in my book, Turn It Around, I tell the story of this five-year-old boy. And this five-year-old boy, he, he, had a, he had this favorite story he used to read every night before he went to bed. It was a cowboy story. And uh, as he began to read the story, he, he got to the point where it looked bad for his hero. His, the cowboy was his hero. And, and all sorts of things were happening to the cowboy. And he couldn't take it anymore. And he, he did what a lot of us wish we could do when we're going through things in life. He, he flipped to the end of the book. Smart little five-year-old boy. And he read the end of the book and he saw his cowboy was riding off into the sunset. Everything was okay. And then with that knowledge, he went back into the middle of the story where the tension was and where the problems were. And he would begin to read. As he would begin to read, suddenly he had this new information. And so in his five-year-old little way, he would just yell at his cowboy encouragement. He'd say, don't you worry. If you only knew what I knew. If you only knew that by the time you get to the end of the book, this isn't going to hurt you and that's not going to hurt you. And 
and you're really going to receive this and that. And God is going to do this and that and the other thing. Listen to me. Don't lose faith in the end of the story. Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. That means that he's writing your story. And that means he writes your story consistent with his will for your life. Never lose faith in the end of heaven's story. Number four, if we are going to get over our issue. And by the way, let me say this. You know, I don't believe, uh, I, I do believe with all my heart that heaven's desired outcome is for us to prevail while we are here on earth. Seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living. In other words, I believe that God wants us to receive his promises here. Now, I believe that. But I also recognize that sometimes for reasons, some, sometimes that can be explained and sometimes that can't be explained. That doesn't always happen. But here's what I want you to understand. Heaven is no consolation prize. Let me say it again. Heaven is no consolation. We have this thing in our mind that heaven is sometime, somehow, some way falling short. Heaven is the greatest prize for all of God's children. And so even if it doesn't go like we are believing God for on this earth, guess what? We still win. Never lose faith in the end of the story. Because the truth of the matter is what happens on earth is really not the end of the story. It's the end of how we know it here. But the end of the greatest and most glorious story of all is when we stand before God in the place that has been created for you and I. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Never lose faith. In the end of the story. Number four, if you are going to get over your issue, you need to shift your strategy. Shift your strategy. How many of you know that that if you are constantly struggling with something and not getting a breakthrough, means you need to shift your strategy. The stupidest thing that anybody could ever do is the same thing over and over again and expect to get different results. Right? We've heard that before. That's insanity. So oftentimes what happens is we get stuck in ruts and we don't realize that God may be asking us to shift our strategy. Say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, look at this, this woman's strategy. Her strategy is go seek medical attention. By the way, not a bad strategy if you're sick. right? Thank God for the miracles of modern day medicine. Thank God for it, right? A lot of people have been healed. A lot of people have been cured. But how many of you know there are some things that modern medicine can't do for you? This woman was probably in Capernaum seeking medical attention. But something happened when she heard about Jesus. When she heard about Jesus, she shifted her strategy. It now went from do whatever needs to be done to get the medical attention that I need in order that I can overcome this thing to do whatever needs to be done in order to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Why? She was hearing about Jesus. It says when she heard of Jesus, what did she hear? He's a miracle worker. 
He's a, he's a blind eye opener. He's a, he's a deaf ear unblocker. He's a water walker. He's a food multiplier. He's doing for people what other people. She starts hearing about Jesus and she says, I'm shifting my strategy. Here's what I heard God say in my spirit to tell you. It's time for some of you to shift your strategy and go all in on touching Jesus. Some of you are only partially in on touching Jesus. Some of you are only kind of half in to your relationship with the Lord. And can I tell you something? That if you are ever going to see breakthrough when an issue dogs you in life over and over again, you need to shift a half-in strategy to an all-in strategy, and you need to determine that you are going to do whatever it takes to touch Jesus. By the way, you have a responsibility to touch Jesus. It's not just waiting for God to touch you. But I want you to know, sometimes you have to initiate and reach out to touch Jesus. Did you notice in this story, Jesus was moving away from her. In almost every other miracle in the Bible, Jesus is going toward the person who needs the miracle. In this case, Jesus is walking away from the one who needs the miracle. Have you ever felt like God was walking away from you? Sometimes I believe that God creates distance for a reason. He wants you to chase. God wants you to leave half and go all. He wants you to leave partial and say it's time for you to come after me with reckless abandon. It's time for you to do everything that you can to touch me. And can I tell you, there are so many practical ways for us to touch Jesus. Prayer touches Jesus. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. What's he saying? Prayer touches me. And I'm not just talking about throwing a prayer against the wall. You know, a lot of times we think, we hear, well, I've got to pray in order for God to respond. And so we muster up a little bit of this prayer stuff and we we pray a five-second prayer. We forget about God. Sometimes prayer requires you to grab hold of the horns of the altar and say, God, I'm not leaving this prayer closet until you bless me. I'm not leaving until I get a breakthrough. Some people want microwave miracles and sometimes miracles require us to be persistent. Daniel prayed 21 days. 21 days. Finally, the answer showed up. The angel showed up. Daniel and Esther said, what took you so long? The angel said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Guess what he was saying? Daniel, you needed to pray. Why? Because we were doing warfare. Prayer is sometimes warfare. I want you to understand that when you pray, you are not necessarily just praying to move the hand of God. Sometimes you are praying to bind the hand of the enemy in your life. And sometimes you got to get serious about your prayer time so that you can touch God in your life. Praise moves the hand of God. Praise is wonderful when we come together in corporate fellowship. It's wonderful. Especially when everybody participates. But praise is even more powerful when it's done on your own. And I'm not talking about, you know, one of these little, I'm digging the music type of thing. And I have like, that inspired me just a moment. I'm talking about the sacrifice of praise. 
I'm talking about a Paul and Silas praise. Where after you have endured something that you shouldn't have endured based upon what you were doing for God, but you did because the enemy was after your life. Instead of getting mad and disappointed and so on and so forth, you decide that even in that situation, even in that unfairness, that nobody is going to take your praise from you. And you decide to touch heaven with your praise. Because when the praises go up, the blessings of God come down in life. Sometimes you got to praise God and pierce the seal of heaven. Holding on to the word of God touches him. Standing on the word of God. We used to sing a song in church, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing. What does it mean to stand on the word of God? It doesn't mean to just believe for a moment. It means to make it your place, to make it your abode, to tent on it, to determine that you are not moving your ground from it. Some people get shaken from the word of God too quickly. They practice the word of God in an attempt to see if it works instead of putting it into practice knowing that it is eventually going to work. The Bible says keep on casting your bread upon the water for after many days it will return onto you. But sadly most of us treat the word of God like it is miracle grow seed. We put seed in the ground. We put water on it and we jump back thinking it's going to sprout up immediately. Sometimes it takes water and water and water and water and water and water and sometimes what is happening is the roots are getting down deep before you can see the evidence of the fruit that comes to pass in your life. You need to touch Jesus. What else touches Jesus? Not only standing on the word, but practicing his word touches Jesus. What a novel idea to actually put the word of God into practice. To put it into practice in every and all situations. Forgiving somebody when they've really wronged you. How about that one? That's putting the word of God into practice. Guess what that does? It touches the heart of God. Being good to somebody who despitefully uses you. Guess what that does? It touches the heart of God. Giving God your last bit of supply when you're down to nothing. Like the woman, the widow woman, who is down to her last bit of oil and meal. God said, give it to me first. Why? Practice the word of God. It touches. And here's the thing about touching God. When you touch God, guess what happens? He touches you back. You cannot touch God and remain the same. It is impossible to do that. Notice what it says. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind in the crowd. She touched his garment for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? She touched him. She felt him touch her back. And Jesus knew that power had gone out of him. What's that mean? It means that when we touch God, he touches us back, but not in any way with power. Jesus felt what? He felt power go out of him. The Greek word dunamis. I call this the JJ principle. Y'all know who JJ is? Dynamite! That JJ, good times. Some of y'all who are like under, I don't know, 30, have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Remember that? JJ would walk in there with dynamite. 
JJ said dynamite, Jesus gives dynamite. When you touch Jesus, guess what he does? He doesn't just touch you back, but he touches you back with miracle working power that has the explosive ability to knock off of you whatever issue the enemy has put on you in your life. But in order for you to do that, you got to touch Jesus. She reached out and she touched him. And the thing I love about Jesus is not only the JJ principle, my, my cousin James will forever go down in infamy in my life. Some of you have heard me share this before, but when we grew up, we grew up together, I grew up in a duplex, we were more like brothers, so we played together every single day. And he was spiteful. He was spiteful. And the reason why he was spiteful is like, you know how kids play together, right? So like, we would be hanging out and, and, and just for no reason at all, I, I'd, I'd just punch him in the arm. You know, just because we were just bothering each other, you know. But I mean, I wouldn't punch him hard enough. I would just be like, ha. Huh. And he would just turn around and go, bam, as hard as he possibly can. Right? Or I would give him a wet willy. He'd just be sitting down. I'd give him a wet willy. Next thing I know, he'd go over. He'd get a bucket of cold water. He'd bring it in. He'd just throw the whole bucket of cold water at me. And he would always say this. He would always say, whatever you do to me, I'll always do one better. That's what he would say to me all the time. And, and even though as a kid, I thought, man, there's something wrong with you. you got issues, man. I, I, as a kid. But now as an adult, you know what I realize? I realize that's God. I realize that every time the devil touches my life, if I will touch Jesus, he will always touch me back with one better in my life. God is a one better God. If you don't believe me, listen to Isaiah 61 verse 7. Because you got a double dose of trouble and more than your share of contempt, your inheritance in the land will be doubled and your joy will go on forever. What is God saying? He's saying that if the enemy touches you and you still with endurance Never give up and do everything you can to touch me. I will eventually touch you back with one better than whatever the enemy has put on you in your life. When you touch God, God touches you back. Lastly today, as we close this, if you are going to get over your issue, you need to realize there is a miracle in your mouth. There is a miracle in your mouth. Notice what the verse says. It says, for she said. And in the Greek tense, it means to say and keep on saying. So once she heard about Jesus, she didn't just make one confession. She said until she got to Jesus, if I can only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Why? Because there is a miracle in your mouth. There is simply no denying it. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 verse 23 and 24, for assuredly I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says uh, will be done, he will have whatever he says. There is a miracle in your mouth. James chapter 3 verse 3 and four says a bit in a horse's mouth controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. There is a miracle in your mouth. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. There is a miracle in your mouth. But not just if you say anything. 
The miracle is when you say what God says. For she said, if I may only touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. If you were here last week, you know she was quoting the prophet Micah. Micah chapter number 4, verse number 2. The son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. What were the wings? They were the hem of a rabbi's garment. She heard about Jesus. She understood that if this was the Messiah, there would be healing in his wings. And so as she made her way through all of the obstacles, everything that she said was a quotation and a prophetic utterance of the promise of God. As you are believing God to overcome whatever it is that you are struggling with, you must put the word of God in your mouth every struggle along the way don't quote the struggle quote the word every problem you encounter don't talk about the problem talk about the promise you must speak the word of God from your mouth because there is a miracle in your mouth would you stand to your feet five principles Five principles for breakthrough to get to overcome any issue. You know what's amazing about what I just shared today, and I don't mean this in a in a in a condescending way. Please hear my heart. I just gave you five principles to overcome any issue. Do you know most people will practice zero? Most people will hear that word that way. Oh, and they'll tell me on the way out. Pastor, that was a good word. Oh, yeah, that was a good word. Fine, great, good. I didn't share it with you so it could be a good word for today. I shared it with you so that it can be principles that you put into practice to see God release you from whatever your issue is in your life. Father, I pray that the word of God would be sealed in our heart and our mind, that we would simply not be hearers of the word, but we would be doers, that we would put your word into practice with all confidence and all faith, knowing Lord, that when we speak the word of God, when we practice these principles, they produce miracles in our lives. With every head bowed, every eye closed, the greatest miracle in your mouth is the miracle of salvation. Did you know that even though Jesus died on the cross, paid the price for your sin, was resurrected three days later to prove that he and he alone was God and the grantor of eternal life, that he still said in order for you to be forgiven of your sin and made right with him that you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord the greatest miracle of all happens when we make a confession with our mouth maybe you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus you don't know if you're right with him or where you would go when you leave this earth today God wants to give you the greatest miracle of all the miracle of salvation with no one looking around if you're here and say pastor you know what I don't know if I'm right with God but today I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior I want to know that I'm forgiven of my sins I want to know that I'm on my way to heaven right where you are no one looking around if that's you just put your hand up I want to pray for you real quick pastor today I want to give my life to Jesus Christ as my personal Savior hold it up nice and high if that's you so we can pray for you Anybody like that at all today? God bless you, sir. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? Pastor, today, I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't know if I'm right with him, but today I want to be made right with him. Amen. You can put your hands down. Let's all pray this prayer right now for the benefit of those couple that just raised their hand. Say it out loud with me. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I repent of my sins. 
I ask you to forgive me. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and through the resurrection. And I receive him as my savior. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.